If you're visiting Canterbury Gardens, a very special welcome to you. It's a joy and privilege to have you here with us this morning. We as a church have been going through a little book called Philippians. And we've been taking our time with it. We've deliberately done that because we wanted to soak in it and think through what God is saying both to that church but also to us. We've been getting to know a guy called Paul who has been unpacking some key things. He's been unpacking and, uh, to, to really get this church and even us to be reminded of this wonderful truth that if you have a relationship with Jesus, that he's at work in your life. We've been seeing that in Philippians 1 verse 6. To Paul, this church is not just a, like a missionary who's out there and this church is supporting him financially. There's, it's something much more deeper. They have a partnership in the gospel. I don't know if you've seen, and particularly if you've been following through in this uh, letter, how Paul's heart for this love, uh, for this church is really deep. He loves this church a lot. There's been this wonderful reminder of a man who is in prison, he's chained for the sake of the gospel, yet the gospel is not chained. The gospel cannot be stopped. It will continue to be proclaimed no matter whatever circumstances Paul is in. It's a wonderful reminder, I don't know about you, even for you and me today when there are news headlines and things that you might see on your social network that remind you or make you feel like, how is this even possible? Can God even go beyond this? The gospel, it cannot be stopped. We've been reminded again that no matter what circumstance, Christ will be proclaimed. And then we see almost like uh, Paul's philosophy in life, his kind of statement that he always comes back to that's been driving a lot of his own life. And I wonder if you met Paul and I look forward to the day when I get to heaven, I can go up to the Apostle Paul and just ask him what is the thing that shaped him. And I wonder if he's going to say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. See, this church has been shaped by this, being called to this, and Paul is explaining this to them. And then he's been reminding this church that they're not just a bunch of individuals, but they are a community together, striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. And then from chapter 2 onwards, it's almost like he's set the foundation, and then chapter 2 is like, well, this is what it looks like in your life. This is what it should be shaped by. In verses, chapter 2, verses 3 to 4, he displays who's been the ultimate example of this truth. Jesus himself, who humbled himself. Our great King and our great God, our great Lord, humbles himself even to the point of death. But because of who he is, the Son of God, the risen King is risen. He's seated high on the right hand of the Father. And he's above every name. And he's the one that is only worthy of true worship. And there's a day coming. Not all Christians will worship Jesus alone, but everyone will bow because he is the one, he is the Lord and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Last week, Mike unpacked for us as he continued in chapter 2 that this faith that we have, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you can't just kind of be born into the Christian faith or not just because you go to a church or small group or even Christian school. This Christian faith is something that you need to own. And it's the Spirit who enables us, empowers us to display this. And it's displayed in the way that we live. And the Philippine church is called to live in this crooked generation to display Christ in a humble way, focused on Him. 
Then we come up to the verses that we're going to be spending time in today, in chapter 2, verses 19 and 30. So if you've got a Bible, if you could turn there, slide or press whatever way you look at the Bible these days. If you don't have a physical copy, please grab one from here. Uh, particularly if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have that. So we're looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. I'm reading from the ESV version. You may have a different version, that's fine. It's fairly similar. This is God's Word. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I, have the, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how well it will go with me. I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Ephroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honour such men, for nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning and continue this time of worship. We ask and pray that anything that's going on in our hearts and minds right now, any distractions, that you would cause it to be still. That you would speak to us through your word. That Holy Spirit, you'd make these words come alive and show us what's on your heart. Oh Jesus, I pray that you would be front and centre. I pray this for your name and for your glory. Amen. Um. This morning I just want to spend a bit of time, just two things that we want to really kind of focus on this morning. Firstly, I want to look at two lives. Two lives. We're going to look at the profile of two lives that in a sense, if you want to summarise, they're lives that are Christ-interested lives. They're lives that are Christ-interested lives. Secondly, what I want to do at the, towards the end of it is to spend some time for us, both individually as a church, kind of have a bit of reflection and ask a simple question. Whose interests am I focused on? Whose interests am I focused on? Now I want you to imagine what you have in front of you in verses 19 to 30. It's as if you're pulling up the Facebook profile or the LinkedIn profile or a resume of two people. Two people that Paul is talking about is in Timothy and Epaphroditus. They're with Paul at this moment as he's writing this letter. It's like you and I are about to get into the glimpse into two lives and who they are, what makes them up. It's like you and I stalking their Facebook profile page to get to know a little bit about them. On one hand, you have Timothy. Timothy is someone who's very close to Paul. Paul describes him as a son. And you can actually read about Paul's very close relationship with his young man as a leader in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Timothy is described as someone who has a genuine concern for this church. 
Now, Timothy has a mission. That mission is, Paul is going to send Timothy back to Philippi to find out how the church is going and hopefully report back if Paul's not able to get there himself. Timothy cares deeply for this church. Now, Timothy's got a close relationship with this church because you can read about it in the book of Acts where in the early days, in the missionary journeys of Paul, Timothy was there when this church was started. He knows this church well. But look at the way that Paul describes him in verse 20. No one like him. Verse 22, he's proven his worth. It's like to say that you guys know his life. You know all about him. You know that he loves Jesus that he lives a life centred around that. Verse 22, a son, a servant of the gospel. There's a wonderful little resume in front of you of Timothy. He's a man who, even described in this moment, Paul describes him as someone who's more interested, his whole life revolves around the interests of Christ. Then you have Epaphroditus. I was practising that all week and I was hoping to get that right today. Anyway, Epaphroditus. Epiph, however you want to call him. He's a guy who's a Philippian. He knows this church really well. He was actually sent by the church. The church sent him out with that gift that we talked about in the earlier part of Philippians. He's brought that money to Paul to minister to him. And then while he's ministering to him, it seems that he got sick. Now remember, this is, the, this is well before phone calls. This is well before emails. So by the time the news gets back to the church that Ephroditus is sick, they're all worried. They're concerned. So they don't know what's happening with him. So Paul is going to send this letter that he's writing, which I love, that here is this man who's going to carry this letter that we're reading today back to that church. His task has been done. And look at the way Paul describes him. Verse 25, he's a fellow worker, a soldier. It's to say that he's a co-laborer. He's partnering in the gospel. He even risked his own life, even both to find Paul, my guess is, but also he come, became sick. And Paul cries out to God for mercy, to him and also to himself, unless he was a sorrow upon sorrow, which I love the rawness of this. This is real life. And Ephroditus comes to meet. There's something that was lacking. And it's like saying, uh, Ephroditus has been sent by the church. The church can't be there. They can't minister to Paul. So Ephroditus is going to be that representation of that church to minister to Paul on what is lacking. And Paul's request to them is honour such men. I've got a confession to make to you today. Even being a pastor of this church. That confession is, when I look at these kind of verses, I sometimes skip them. I don't know if you do that. I'm sure you don't do that, right? It's like those Old Testament passages, you know, with all the names and the rules and regulations, and you kind of go, oh, let's skip it and see what happens. I'm not not sure there's no one here that, that does that, right? But friends... Here at Canary Gardens, Community Church, we believe all scriptures God breathed, including this. There's a purpose why Paul is writing, and he's specifically writing these names down for a particular purpose. What we have in front of us is a wonderful testimony, live testimonies, if you like, of lives that were interested far more in the matters of Christ than their own interests. 
So if you look at Luke, uh, sorry, if you look at Philippians chapter two, verse twenty-one, there's a stark comment made about Timothy. I think it it even shapes Epaphroditus. I think it says they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. I think what we have here is like Paul saying here. Here are two live examples of men who are seeking the interests. Of Christ. Now, this is nothing new. If you've been following in Philippians, it's already been talked about. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This has already been mentioned. And this is like a kind of like a parallel kind of connection verses if you look at it, if you compare the two. Here in this moment, in the chapter 2, the ultimate example of what that looks like is talking about Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate example. He's the ultimate example of giving away his own interests and doing the will of the Father. Now, I don't know about you, when you look at some of these passages, and you know when you see things like, there's Apostle Paul, there's Jesus, Timothy, Aphrodite, somewhere in between, you kind of have a scale of comparison... And you look at things like, you know, Jesus, and you're going, oh, you know, I don't know how I can even come up to that level. That seems almost impossible to reach. We kind of compare ourselves. Recently, I went to the gym, and I know you're looking at me going, he goes to the gym. Yes, I went to the gym, and I realized I have the wrong address. But what, <laughs> I actually went to the gym, right? And I went to the gym, and I particularly used a particular equipment. I finished using the equipment, I got off. And I don't know if you've ever been to the gym. For some reason, what happens is, when you go to the gym and you use certain equipment, all of a sudden you walk out like this. Right? You kind of flex for no reason. So I went out to, uh, to stretch out, because I was very sore, and I looked at the mirror, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, look at me. And this other guy comes to stretch next to me. My shape is round. He's got muscles in places that I never knew existed. And I automatically compare myself to him. It seems impossible. There's no way I can reach this guy, his goals. But when we kind of relate to our Christian faith, sometimes we might even go like, you might hear statements, well-meaning statements, just be like Jesus. It seems almost impossible. But friends, remember who Paul is writing? He's writing to a church. That is, he loves dearly. He speaks to this church to pursue Christ, to pursue the one who's been humble. Jesus is the great example, but then he goes even further and puts before them some real life examples of these two men. Two men whose lives are far more focused on the things that interest Christ than their own interests. And that's why it's irrelevant even for us today. That these men, us men like us, who've given their lives to Jesus, who are now empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out these truths. See, their whole focus is ultimately on the interests of Christ. So that means even for us today, we need to ask that question, is that true of us? Is that true of you? Is that true of me? What's driving our interests? Are the things of Christ driving our focus? See, from the time that you and I woke up, and as soon as we got to coming to our church gathering this morning, most of our decisions were based on our own interests. 
That's not a necessarily bad thing. And even in chapter 2, he talks about it. Don't just look after your own interests, but consider others, right? There's that, that tension there. But the question is to ask ourselves, whose interests are driving our own interests? Whose interests are driving our own interests? I don't know, apparently this is what happens. I don't know if this is true for you in your life. You know, when you're driving somewhere and you're late to something like a meeting, like an elders meeting, I've heard this is what happens. And you're driving and you're late and you want to get there on time. As you're driving, you're thinking to yourself, why are these people in front of me? Do they not know that I'm running late? Why are these red lights coming up at these these inappropriate times. I want to get there on time. And I'm thinking to myself, I mean, somebody else is thinking to themselves, (laughs) and that moment they're thinking, don't they know? Yes, it's 60 k's an hour. I'm sure that's a recommendation when you're running late. (laughs) I don't know if that's ever happened to you. In that moment, I know for me, I'm thinking about my own interests. Yes, I'm going to do a spiritual thing, but that is nothing. I'm interested in my own needs. Or whatever, if it's ever happened to you in your own home, this is kind of the stage of life then you're in. You're ready. You're ready to leave the house. You're running a few minutes late. As you're about to go out the door, someone goes, I need to go to the toilet. In that moment you have, well, you tell them, suck it up and get in the car. Or think about my own interests. See, uh, look, here's a note I want to make. For those of us who are either new to the Christian faith or maybe even um, exploring the Christian faith, the Christian faith is much more than a religion. See, back in the day, they used to call it, before the word Christian were used, they were known as the way. It's a whole lifestyle. See, when you give your life to Jesus and he becomes the Lord of your life, that means that your whole life reorientates Your interests are now more interested in his interests. And the reason why if you are someone who doesn't know Jesus or maybe even exploring the Christian faith, you are designed to be more connected and be pursuing the interests of Christ and that's why you're restless. That's why you're wanting more. Because ultimately your life has become about you. That's not what you were designed to, was to be under his loving care and his loving lordship. When you and I give our lives to him, when we are willing to humble ourselves to the one who is the most humble one, he comes into your life. He turns those things that you think of great importance and reorientates your thought and your life and your will to his interest, to his loving lordship. It's a beautiful thing. If that is you, can I encourage you? Maybe talk to the person who came with you this morning. Maybe come and chat to us after the service. But friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is even the same for us today. To ask the question, what the things that we look into our lives, what, who, what's driving those interests? Are they my interests or are they Jesus' interests? Those decisions that we make, the choices that we make in life, the sacrifices we make, whose interests are driving that? Is it Jesus' interests or my own interests? But friends, when you and I are captured by Christ and his interests, that reshapes everything. It reshapes your life at home, at school, at work, in your marriage, if you're in the season of dating, how you raise your kids, 
in the world that we live in, Christ's interest becomes far more important. That reshapes even us as a church, as a church family. But understand, this is not something we just will ourselves. It is the one who Paul writes about in Philippians 1, the one who began a good work, is the one who enables us. See, when our mindset and our hearts and our wills change to the interests of Christ, what happens is we become more concerned, far more concerned about the things that concern Jesus. That means God is the one who empowers us. Jesus is the one who empowers us to love and serve others. Not in our own strength, but in the power of the Spirit. That includes our enemies. Think about the man who's writing this letter. He's in jail. He's chained. He's still concerned about the interests of Christ. Is Jesus, because his focus is on Jesus. Jesus is the one who's been that example, perfect example for him. That is his motivation. That means when we become far more interested in the things of Christ, his interests, you and I will continue to grow to reject the thing that is at the key of all self-interest, that is pride, to reject it, to be interested in Christ and his things. Friends, is that possible? Do you think that is possible for you and I? This is why I love the way Paul starts the letter in Philippians. He doesn't jump straight into do these things. He starts with the gospel and what Christ has done. And then he goes into this is what it looks like in your life. You and I constantly need to be reminded of the good news of the gospel. The one, Jesus Christ, who is the perfect one, who himself came into this world. The one who was in the garden, his own will was to say, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup away from me. No, not my will, but your will be done. He was interested in the Father's will so that you and I could come in relationship with him. He's the one who displayed what it means to put the interests of the Father constantly. He lived in humility, he loved in humility, he served in humility and he died in humility. And so that means for us, if you believe in Jesus and if you believe in that his lordship in your life, Jesus Christ is our wonderful, perfect example and he's the one who sent his spirit to empower us. He's the one who has begun a good work in you. That good work is reshaping those interests that you thought were of great importance to you. And he's changing you and I. Christians call the word called sanctification. It's this idea you'll be all thinking and your will. Things are being changed by God through the power of his spirit and his word. That means your interests are no longer your interests alone, but it's actually looking through the lens of Jesus Christ and his interest becomes your interest. That's a daily thing. It's a moment by moment thing. It's not like you kind of reached the pinnacle. It's a daily, day after day, life after life. This is what it means to have the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's not just asking Jesus into your heart and now you get into heaven. No, Lordship of Jesus Christ, is that's the goal. That's where you're going to end. But Lordship means everything now is through that filter. Everything. Everything shifts. So this morning, the question I ask you and even me, are the interests of Christ continuing to grow and captivate your hearts? Or is there something else or someone else? Because when they do, that changes even the way as you head into work this week.
That means as you head into the work this week, that means you and I have then gone, Jesus, I know what's in front of me this week with work. Please, shift my interest to what interests you this week while I serve at work. This means that as you and I parent, for those of us in parenting season, to look at our kids not just to raise good kids, but to look at them and pray, Lord Jesus, pray their interests will shift to things that interest you. Help me to model this in my own life. And church, that means if you call Canterbury Gardens Community Church your home, if you are a ministry leader in any shape or form, it's not about building your own little kingdom. It's about building the kingdom. That means there are ministry times when you're ministry leaders, you have to ask the question, am I just going to look after my own little ministry or am I going to look after Jesus and his interests? I mean, it shapes everything and infects all kind of ministries. We're working together. So friends, the question to ask is in whatever season, asking Jesus constantly and continuously, Jesus, what are your interests? And if you want an example of what are the things that interest Jesus, they're right in Philippians. In Philippians we have the things that interest Jesus are the things of gospel partnership. Paul talks about it earlier on. These are the things that are interests of Christ. The things that are interests of Christ are the things of submission, submitting to his loving lordship. That's what interests Christ. That means also what interests Christ is surrender and surrender to him and his loving lordship every day, moment by moment. That's an interest of Christ. Now the interest of Christ is gospel advance. To make sure that every nation, every tongue gets to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That is of interest of Christ. What's another interest of Christ? Philippians talks about it. Unity, serving side by side. That is of interest to Christ. Another great key interest for all of us is the interest of being humble. That is of great interest to Christ. Church, imagine if we were known as a church that wasn't just about... Yeah, that's that Christian church. They're against, about, against this and that, but they're also, we are known as a church. One thing we, they, we, they know about us is that we are a church that is far more interested in the things of Christ than ourselves and his name and his glory. What a wonderful witness that will be.